So in this uh, last, this, this sermon is going to be really simple. Um, there's two points. At one point, I was trying to figure out how to make a third point because that's kind of like a traditional sermon, but there just wasn't one there. So I've got two points, <laughs> okay, for you this morning, and that's what um, was in the text, and that's what I really feel uh, to hit on. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Patience and Action. Patience and Action. And I think, yeah, the, the slides will be uh, up there. I want to just give you a definition of patience. And, and before we read the definition of patience, is, is there anybody here that would be willing, you can put your hand up for this, anybody struggle with patience? Okay. I told you guys uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Vicky and I, our youngest son, Henry, was in the hospital for a couple nights, and so Vicky and I were doing shifts. I spent the night, and she was there during the day, and we tried to have supper together. And I was on my way to the hospital, and I was kind of running late, and I walked into Barbarito. Ever been in Barbarito? I'm, this is not paid advertising, by the way. Um, I'm just bringing it up because it's... It's true, I went to Barbarito, and I was grabbing something for Vicky and I to eat, and I walked in, and it was just packed. It was full, and it looked like the line wasn't moving very fast, so I just turned around and left. And uh, I was thinking about that when I was, like, thinking about patience. I was like, I did not display patience very well. <laughs> but have you ever been in a lineup at, like, the motor vehicle or the bank or wherever it is, and you just feel, like, this tension in your body where it's physical? Anybody? I'm the only one. No? Okay. I'm the only one that struggles with patience. Okay, those are silly moments, but then there's times um, you ever struggle with patience with your spouse or, no nudging, uh, your kids or family members, you know, when, when you think about going to spend time with family at Thanksgiving. Anybody ever feel that tension in your body where you're just feeling like the patience is just kind of like seeping out of you very quickly? Um, I think patience is probably something a lot of us wrestle with, and James has something to say about it, and he connects it to the return of Jesus. And it's really convicting. Uh, I'm going to read you the definition of the English word for patience. And this should be up on the screen if I've got my notes in there right. And just think about whether or not this applies to you very well. So here's the definition, three definitions. So patience is the bearing of provocation, which means when you're provoked, somebody's poking at you, okay? So the bearing of provocation, annoyance, misfortune, or pain without complaint, without loss of temper, irritation, or the like. Does that describe us well? So when somebody is annoying you or provoking you, do you bear that without complaint, loss of temper, and irritation? This is not meant to be a heavy. If it is, just know it's a heavy for me as well. I'm not finger pointing. This is, this is convicting. So another definition is an ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay, right? The third one, quiet, steady perseverance, even-tempered care, diligence. So probably as we read through this, these definitions for patience, there's not many of us that are saying, I just nail it when it comes to patience. Like, I've got that one, right? We probably, even just this week, if we're honest, most of us could probably think to a couple of examples this week where we lost our patience, whether it was with a loved one or a friend or at the bank or at Barbarito, okay? <laughs> we, we probably can think of those kinds of, of times. And so just want you to keep that in your mind, and we're going to read. Uh, it's only two verses from James chapter 5, and this is the wrap-up to the book of James. So I'm going to read these two verses, but at, when I close, I'm going to finish with just 
I'm not going to read the rest of it, but I'm going to highlight what James says after this. Because this is really important. And so before I read these verses, I want you to know this. James highlights here patience, and he talks about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, which if you're a follower of Jesus today, we long for that. We wait for that with anticipation. We just sung about it in the song, Blessed Assurance, right? And so James talks about patience in light of that, but then he gives us some action steps, and there are six of them that, that follow these two verses. So here, here we go with uh, verses seven and eight, and this, um, it'll be up on the screen. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. So in these couple verses, James has repeated a couple things. He's repeated patience, being patient. And twice in these two verses, he talked about the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is near. There's a, there's a Greek word he uses for that called perusia. And I'm going to mention that later. But when you, uh, if you ever hear the word perusia, and it's being referenced in the New Testament, usually it's a New Testament writer talking about the coming of the king. And, and there's this, a powerful um, realization that happens in the life of a Jesus follower when you, when you reflect on the coming of the king, this coming of Christ. And so um, here's my first point. I said this really simple, two, two points this morning. Um, and this would be, yeah, I think it's up here. The motivation to be patient comes when you know that what you are waiting for is worth the wait. I'll read that one more time. The motivation to be patient comes when you know that what you are waiting for is worth the wait. I've noticed this pattern in my life. Sometimes ministry gets really busy, hectic, crazy. If I'm planning for a trip, if there's something I'm looking forward to, if things get really busy leading up to that trip, I can go through it with patience and with ease because I'm so excited about what is coming. So uh, last year, our friends Hannah and Tyler, who most of you know, they, they moved out here from the East Coast to help plant Transformation Church. They're back in Halifax now. Um, but last year, they visited, and they visited right around uh, Vicky and I's anniversary, our 16-year anniversary. And they, they, like, leading up to them coming for this visit, they said, we're going to give you guys two nights. You guys can go and get an Airbnb somewhere and just, like, go on a trip. So Vicky and I were pumped. And I remember leading up to that trip, like, it didn't matter how stressful things got, how hectic things got, how, you know, tempted I was to be impatient and frustrated. I was just so filled with anticipation of just being able to get away with Vicky because it's not something we get to do very often, that I was able to get through all of that stuff pretty well because of what I was anticipating. And so what James is talking about, I want you to catch this, because this is, this is really powerful, and this will help you and I face the challenges and difficulties of life if we get this. What James is saying to us here is he's reminding us that Jesus is coming. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. He finishes with, you must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. And so this word that I brought up, perusia, I don't usually bring up Greek words. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't really great when I did study Greek. I found it really challenging. Um, but sometimes it's really uh, helpful because it helps you understand what the original author was meaning. So this word perusia is a word that Greeks used when they talked about somebody was coming. 
And so even in the New Testament, there's times where it was used talking about a guy named Stephanus or Paul. He's coming, okay? So it's this word perusia. But 17 times in the New Testament, the New Testament writers, when they talk about Jesus coming back, they use this word perusia. And the reason that's special is because Jesus, as we know, he came and he lived here on earth a perfect life. He died on the cross for us, and then he rose again, and he ascended to be with God in heaven. So there was 500 people. If you read in Acts, there's 500 people. They witnessed Jesus ascending into heaven, and his promise to his disciples and to us is, I will return. If you're a Jesus follower today, we know that's one of the things that we long for, that we hope for, is this return of Christ. Because the return of Christ means Jesus is going to restore everything. Everything that's broken, everything that's damaged, everything that's just gone horribly wrong, when he comes, all of that is fixed, all of that is restored, all of that is taken care of. And this word perusia, when it's used in reference to Jesus, it's special because he was here and then he went to be with the Father, but the king is coming back. So the king is going to return. He will return. And what James is saying to us, he's saying, the reason that we can be patient when we face difficulties and trials and hardships is because we know that the king is coming. I want to read um, a few verses from Revelation chapter 21. And sometimes these verses make me emotional. Um, this is, and, and if you read the, the last couple chapters of Revelation, you'll see a lot about the return of, return of Christ and what that's going to look like. But here's a little bit of uh, an insight on what it looks like at the return of Christ. And this will be up on the screen if you want to follow there, or it's in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This next couple sentences, um, the reason that this passage of scripture impacts me so deeply is because we live in this really broken world. On a regular basis, I encounter people whose lives are in shambles, or I turn on the news and I read about things going on all around the world, food shortages, or people being locked up for various reasons, and things going on in governments, and corruption, all this stuff, and it makes me feel really unsettled. Sometimes it makes me feel afraid, it makes me think of, Vicky and I talk about this sometimes, like bringing children into this world, like we've got six kids. And as we were having children, we've just talked about, like, is it even wise to bring children into this world in the state that we're in? There's all kinds of things going on in the world that are really concerning. And, and I don't know how somebody faces the things going on in this world without having hope in Jesus. I honestly don't. I look at a lot of the things that are happening in this world, and what gets me through is that I believe what the Scriptures teach about Jesus. I believe he's coming back. I believe he's going to restore everything. What James is saying is that the reason that we can be patient is because we believe that there is a day coming where God will restore everything. And so listen to these, um, certain verse, uh, the start of verse 3 again in Revelation 21. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them 
and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I was like reading this. um, I had to do a trip for some training, and I was on the plane reading this, and I was getting emotional and I was just thinking about the, the coming of Christ and how everything that's broken, everything that I struggle with right now, all of the pain, all of the difficulty that, that I see, that I, that I wrestle with, the promise in the scriptures that Jesus makes is that I'm, I am returning and all will be made new. And what James is saying to us is like the motivation to be patient comes when you know that what you're waiting for is worth the wait. Like when you know that what you are waiting for is worth the wait, it gives you the ability to be patient because you know that there is a day coming where everything gets restored, everything gets fixed. You know, and if, you've, if, you live, if you're living a life where you're facing hardships and you're facing difficulty, he says it here in James. He talks about being patient in suffering. The reason we can do that is because we know that Christ is coming and everything will be restored. You know, one of the things that baffles uh, non-Christians about Christians sometimes is forgiveness. I remember watching some pretty high-profile cases of murder uh, where parents of a victim got up and publicly testified to having forgiven the person that murdered their, their child or whatever. And I, I remember this high-profile case, and it was years ago, I was younger, and it left an impression on me. And I remember the dad saying, I'm, I, the only reason I can do this is because Jesus tells us to forgive. But I think about that in, in what we're talking about. The reason, we can be, the reason we can forgive and the reason we can face suffering is because we know that what we're waiting for, what we're anticipating, is worth the wait. And so whatever you're facing in this life, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty, whatever challenge, what James is saying to us, what the scriptures are teaching us this morning is like, be patient because we know that there is a day coming where all things are restored, all things are made new. And now, I, I realize in saying that, I'm not saying that um, we don't get to experience some of that incredible blessing now, because God does amazing things in the here and now. We actually get to live into the kingdom of God, almost like a, it's like a precursor to what will be. Like, that's what the church actually is. The church of Jesus, if, if Transformation Church functions the way God desires for us to function as a church, we actually look like what his kingdom is meant to look like um, when, when he returns. Like, when, like as a community, we, we should be forgiving each other. We should be loving each other, even though we're um, ethnically different and socioeconomically different. We have all these differences, all these things that should divide and separate us. We, we should be looking like a community, a lot like what Jesus describes. We get to experience forgiveness now. We get to experience blessing and rest now. But there's times when we don't. And the reality is, and what James is saying, is that some people, they just face hardship and suffering in an insane way. And what he's saying is that we can be patient because we do know what's coming. And so that, um, I just want you to just, just think about that. The motivation to be patient comes when you know that what you are waiting for is worth the wait.
as a, as a follower of Jesus, when I face challenges and difficulty, that's what gets me through, is knowing um, that the, the scriptures are true and right about what they say about Christ. The second point is that biblical patience is action-oriented, okay? So you, you can be patient when you know that what you're waiting for is worth the wait. So when you're, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling heavy, like, think about what the scriptures teach about the, the coming of Christ and what we have to hope for, what we have to look forward to. Like, that will get you through. If you believe it, it will get you through, okay? Secondly, though, biblical patience is action-oriented. James is not saying we get to just kind of sit around on our hands and wait for Jesus to return. Some people live like that. It's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is going to come back, and, and we just kind of live our life the way we want without any thought of what God wants us to do in the here and now. James is really against that kind of thinking. Biblical uh, teaching on patience is not in line with that kind of thinking. So biblical patience, the second point, biblical patience is action-oriented. So James here, and I just want to um, point this out to you, and I've, I've mentioned this before in some of Paul's writings, but I, I think James thought he would see the return of Christ in his lifetime. And a lot of the New Testament writers, if you read carefully, a, a lot of them believed they would see the return of Christ in their lifetime, like 2,000 years ago, okay? Uh, and, and this is, you know, can be a controversial thing in the church where people argue about when Jesus is coming back and all of those different things. I don't want to um, get up and give you the timeline. I can after the service. I, I do have a date, by the way. If you want, if you want that, I'll, uh, I'll hook you up. Um, but I don't want to get into that, about that, because that's, that's like, you know, they're, they're, the scriptures talk about, you know, looking for signs, and I think it's important to do that, but I don't want to uh, get into that today. What I want to point out is that probably, if you've been around the church a long time, you've heard lots of talk about end times, and you've seen where it's been divisive. And I think it would actually grieve the heart of these biblical writers to know that people get arguing about when the return of Christ is going to happen, and then they're, they just kind of sit on their hands and they don't do what God's called us to do. So biblical patience is action-oriented. So we don't know the exact time of his coming, but we do know that it, it will happen. And in the meantime, Jesus has actually given you and I a job. Um, if, you want to, if you're writing anything down, write down Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48, and, and go ahead and read that afterwards. But I just want to summarize what Jesus teaches there. So in Luke chapter 12, starting verse 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about the return of Christ. And it's interesting because they're trying to figure out, like, well, when are you coming back? And they've got all these questions. And Jesus, as he often does, tells a story. And he says, the, the, the second coming, the return of Christ, it's kind of like this. He's like, it's kind of like a master who goes away on a trip. Okay, so if, if, if a master of a household goes away on a trip, he, he says to the, his servants, he gives them all different responsibilities, right? So then the master leaves. Jesus said, the, com- the second coming is kind of like that. He said, but then what happens is the master comes back, and some of those servants are doing the exact thing the master told them to do. And those, res- those servants get rewarded because they're, they're serving well. They're, they're doing the things that their master asked them to do. But then Jesus says, and this is the part that I find really convicting, he said, some of those servants, when the master comes back at an unexpected time, they're living self-indulgent lives. They're beating up on their fellow servants. They're using their position for selfish reasons. They're doing all kinds of things wrong. They get this harsh rebuke and punishment. And so what Jesus is saying has to do with, he's saying like, in the meantime, as followers of Jesus, like you and I have been given this this role by God himself to go and, and make disciples, to be a part of his church. 
He's actually given us things that, that we can do in the meantime. And what Jesus is saying in this parable in Luke chapter 12, and it's also in Matthew, is he's saying, like, the master's going to come back at an unexpected time. And if you're doing the thing the master told you to do, you will be blessed. You'll be rewarded. The master will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you're not doing the thing the master said for you to do, if you're kind of sitting on your hands or you're using your, 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 your time selfishly in a self-indulgent way, there's a, there's a rebuke and a punishment coming for that. And I, I find it one of the most convicting parts of Scripture when I think about the, the return of Christ, like, God, what do you want me to do in the meantime? Uh, I, like, I know that God has given us things to do. And I just want to highlight this, and this will be on the screen, because I found this fascinating. And as we conclude the book of James, um, I never noticed this before, by the way. So when, even when I started this series, I'd never seen this in James, how this, how this ends. But uh, I think it's quite brilliant. And you can, if the slides are still working, you can put it up there. So I read to you verses 7 and 8. And, and the book of James in chapter 5, it goes on. There's, there's, it goes to verse 20, I think. And there's six things... So after James talks about waiting and being patient, anticipating the return of Christ, right after that section, there are six things that are practical that he actually tells us to do. The first is don't judge each other, which we, we talked about. He brought that up earlier in the book. The judge is standing by, so let him do his job. Be patient in suffering like Job. So if you're, if you're in a situation where you're facing suffering, you're facing difficulty, what James says is don't, don't get discouraged. Don't, don't assume that God has forgotten you. God didn't forget about Job. Job did nothing wrong to actually get him into suffering. There was something going on that Job wasn't aware of. So if you find yourself in a situation like that, he says, be patient in suffering like Job. Trust God. Look to him. The third, keep your word. Okay? Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Be a person. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Don't swear by heaven or, uh, or hell. Um, anyway, keep your word. Be a person who, who does that. Pray always in every situation. We talked about that last week, including for the sick. Confess your sins. Seek forgiveness. And then restore those who've wandered away back to the faith. So James, and you can leave that slide up there, James ends by, by giving us you know, this, this teaching on being patient and anticipating the work of Christ. But then he goes on and there's these six things. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's not like these are the only six things you can do while waiting. But I was reading that and I was like, well, if we're confused and we're like, well, what do I do in the meantime? There's a pretty incredible list right here of things to do. And as far as a, an action step, as you look at that list, is there something on that list that you're not currently putting in practice in your life? Could, could it be confessing sins? Are there things in your life that are, are sort of hidden and, and pushed way down that you haven't confessed, you haven't dealt with, you haven't sought prayer for? Restoring those who've wandered away back to the, to the faith. Like, are you praying for people that you know have wandered away from this faith in Christ? Like, James gives this really great action step. That's actually how he finishes the whole book, okay? So he's got this incredible book of, of really powerful truths and teachings, and he finishes it by saying, restore those back who've wandered away from the faith. So if you're a person who just, like, wrestles with, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, look at some of these six things that James concludes with. Like, am I living into this? Am I trusting the Holy Spirit to lead me into a life of, of putting these things in practice? Because if not, the Lord may be speaking to you about some of these things to put into practice. James uh, is a really blunt book. And there's a lot in the book of James that is really 
convicting. It's very action-oriented. And my, my challenge to us as we finish this book of James is um, the, these two points. The first one is, like, do you have confidence that what you're waiting for is worth the wait? Like, have you thought about the return of Christ and what that looks like? Is that something that you're able to just put your hope in and trust in? And then secondly, does, does the waiting look like action in your life? Are, are you and I living in a way that is action-oriented as far as what the scriptures teach? Are we putting into practice the truths that God has revealed to us about how to live? Are we doing so with a faith-filled life of action? Um, I'm going to invite Jeremy and the team to come up and... and uh, the band, I think, is going to come up with him. We're going to do, we're going to have communion together today. Jeremy's going to lead us in communion, uh, and I'll let Jeremy share uh, about that. Um, but let me just pray for us um, as we as we come to the end of the book of James, and um, I just want to pray as well that what God will do here, because I'm thinking about Transformation Church. I, I really, I have a sense that God is doing something in our midst, and and I believe that we are to be a community that lives in anticipation of this, the return of our King, the perusia of our Lord. But I also believe that He's actually called us to be people of action, that we put into practice the teaching of Scripture so that we can reveal to the world who Christ is and that they will encounter Him and experience transformation and, and life change. And so let's pray and then we'll communion. God, thank you for, um, for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for how you challenge us. And Lord, I, I just lift up anyone here today who maybe is facing discouragement and maybe they're facing suffering and it is hard to push through. I just pray that you would remind us, Lord, of the promises of scripture, that you would remind us that your coming means restoration of all things, that every broken relationship will be restored, that every tear will be wiped from every eye, that every need will be met. Lord, let us have hope in that, Lord. And then, God, for those of us that you're challenging us to, um, to action, you're challenging us to live in a way that honors you, just pray that you would uh, reveal to us specifically what that looks like in our lives. And even as I think about us as a, as a church and as a community, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be a church that actually honors you. I pray that when you look at Transformation Church, your heart would be pleased. You'd say, there's, there's a group of people that are living in faith. They're doing the things I've asked them to do. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and give us the, the, the courage, the boldness, the strength uh, to do the things that you say. In Jesus' name, amen.